And as we continue in the book of Esther, and actually as we conclude today, we're talking a lot about, about brokenness and how, how God can take all of this brokenness and have it work together for good. Remember, uh, as our kind of our working New Testament verse through this, through this series has been that all things work together for good for those who love God and are according, live according to his purpose. And as we've been going through the book of Esther, uh, we've realized that this is a very unusual book for, for the Bible because in this book it never mentions God or worship or prayer or any of those religious terms that we would normally associate with uh, a book in the Bible. And, uh, but we have identified eight different dice or deity moments through this story where we have to say, is this a dice moment? Is this merely by coincidence that this happened? Or is God behind it and doing something much larger? Now, for those of you who are just coming in at the tail end of this uh, series, I, I'm sorry, uh, you've missed a lot that we're in week 10. But uh, yesterday, uh, Boo Bear and I, my son, we flipped on the TV. We we're going to watch some Saturday morning cartoons. And lo and behold, VeggieTales was on. And it was not only VeggieTales, but it was the story of Esther. And over the next half an hour, I watched it. I said, wow, I could have saved us all 10 weeks, shown VeggieTales Esther, and uh, we would have got it all. And, uh, but it was very cleverly done. And uh, if you haven't seen it I, and you're coming at the end, just watch VeggieTales and you'll know everything. So it'll be really, really good. Uh, but uh, like I said, as we've been going through this story, it would be very easy for us to miss God's hand on this, in what he is doing. And hopefully as we've been going through this story, that we can look at our own, own stories and see when God is working in, in our lives and be able to identify God's work. So I just want to recap really, really fast. If you remember, King Xerxes, who was the king of all of Persia, the largest empire the world has known up until that date, had uh, banished his wife, Queen Vashti. And he decided to have the equivalent of a beauty queen uh, uh, pageant, a beauty pageant. And so he had his officials go out through all his empire and bring the most beautiful women in his empire before him. And he was going to choose a new queen. And the first dicer deity moment was when Esther, a Jewess, becomes queen of all Persia. Now, it's interesting as we go through and we look at each one of these dicer deity moments that each and every one in, the, in its own package, in its own vacuum, we could very easily dismiss it as just coincidence. But when we look at it as a whole, we can see that God is working throughout this story. The next one was Mordecai, a relative, overhears a plot against Xerxes the king to kill him. And again, you know what, was that merely by coincidence that a relative of Esther happened to be in the right place at the right time to hear about a plot against the king and have the connections to save his life? The next Dicerdia moment was when King Xerxes did not reward Mordecai. Remember, uh, we kind of struggled with that. Would God really withhold blessings and rewards that we deserve? 
for something larger. And we, we found out that God does work that way. Uh, number four was Haman, who was the bad guy. This is the guy who wanted to have genocide against the Jews in the Persian Empire. He cast lots. Uh, essentially, he threw dice to see when the best time, the best day to have genocide against the Jews would be. And those dice, those lots, came up almost a year later, giving the Jews time to prepare for this genocide that was going to be taken against them. The next one was that Xerxes had insomnia on the eve of Mordecai's execution. And uh, Mordecai and Haman, if you remember in the story, they were mortal enemies. They hated each other. Not only did they hate each other, but they're both their people groups hated each other. And there was a lot of racism and hate being motivated uh, between these two, two guys. And finally, Haman, who was the official and had the power, was going to have Mordecai executed on a 75-foot pole, have him impaled. And on the eve of his execution, Xerxes has insomnia. And we said, is that just by coincidence, or did that, was God keeping him up? The next one was that Xerxes told one of his attendants to go pull some scroll, a scroll from his kingdom. Uh, these are basically the, the government records of the day. This would be like having somebody go and fetch a transcript of C-SPAN and read it to you. Not very exciting stuff. And Xerxes, you know, didn't have sleepy time or whatever medicine at that time. So the best he could do was have government records read to him so he could fall asleep to it. And we, had, we looked in the attendant out of the thousands of scrolls out of all the time just happened to, was just coincidence, was a dice moment or deity moment that he grabbed the very scroll that was going to tell about how Mordecai saved Xerxes' life. So we struggled with that and said, well, is that dice or, or deity that moment? The next one was Haman entered right when he was thinking on how to honor Mordecai. You see, the attendant grabbed the scroll of Mordecai saving his life and he asked the question, what did we do to reward Mordecai? And the attendant said, nothing's here in the records, I guess nothing. And he's like, wow, we need to reward Mordecai. And Haman was coming in to tell the king about executing Mordecai. And the king said, hey, how should I reward somebody that I'm really pleased with? And if you remember, Haman's thinking that the king was talking about himself, talked about all these wonderful things that, that he should do for the person he wants to honor. And he says, excellent. Do everything that you have said for Mordecai. So... There was a big change right there. And then finally, after Esther goes to the king and asks him for his audience, remember, she could have died if he didn't hold out the golden scepter. She asked him to come to dinner, him and Haman. And then the second night, after she didn't talk about, uh, she didn't talk about uh, the genocide against the Jews, the, the next night, they came back again for another banquet. At this time, she told the king about Haman. And the king was upset, and he got up, and he walked out into the courtyard. And he was out there for a while. And during that time, Haman threw himself 
on the couch or on Esther to plead for his life. And at that very moment, that's when the king re-entered. And that was a, a crime that was punishable by death, touching the queen. So Haman was killed. So at this point, uh, these were the dicer deity moments. And when we look at them all, hopefully we can see that, you know, each one of themselves, maybe, okay, maybe it was coincidence. But when you look at it as a whole, you have to say, you know what? There's something much, much larger going on. And I believe that that was God working throughout this story. And the important thing is, as we're going through our life and things happen, good things, bad things, things are indifferent, that we can know that nothing is left by chance, that God is constantly working and working for something much larger, and we have the opportunity to be part of it. So we got left off where uh, uh, Haman had made this decree to have all the Jews killed. And if you remember, we talked about last week how once the king made a decree, it could not be changed. So we have total hopelessness for the Jews that this day is going to come when genocide is coming and the king can't even change it. So he told Mordecai and Esther, hey, if you can write another decree that that will save your people, I'll sign it, and, but remember, it can't be changed. So they wrote a decree that said that they could, the Jews could defend themselves from the, the Persians who wanted to kill them and take their, their money and their plunder and all that. So that's where we're picking up in the story. So if you turn to Esther chapter 9, verse 1, this is where we pick up. So on March 7th, the two decrees of the king were put into effect. On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to destroy them, but quite the opposite happened. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the king's provinces to defend. This is so important that we catch this part. If we just read over this and miss it, all the rest is not going to make much sense to us. They came together to defend themselves against anyone who might try to harm them. And so we have the, remember, the two differences between the two decrees. The first decree was we were going to have genocide against the Jews. Probably over a million people were going to be killed on this particular day. And Haman's decree said, if you kill a Jew, you get to take all of their possessions. This is an evil, evil plot. But Haman and Esther's is, look, on this particular day, you can defend yourself against anyone who attacks you. But even if you defend or defeat that person who attacks you, you cannot take any of their money. You can't take any of their possessions. So you have this first decree that is motivated by hatred and, and personal gain. And the second degree that is motivated by love and protecting of one's family and people group. And also uh, that, that there's no personal gain in it. So there's big differences between the two. It continues, says, but no one could make a stand against them, for everyone was afraid of them. 
And all the commanders of the provinces, the princes, the governors, and the royal officials helped the Jews for fear of Mordecai. I just want you to feel the weight of the change of fortune that has happened here. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you felt it was hopeless, that there was no hope um, of a positive outcome. If there ever was one, the Jews here in Persia at this time were facing it. That they had a decree that, that came out almost a year previous. And they had to live with the anxiety for a year, knowing that on this particular day, that the Persian Empire was going to raise, rise up and kill them. And there wasn't anything that they could do about it. Nothing. It was a hopeless situation. But God, through these, these seemingly coincidental things throughout that year, orchestrated one of the biggest turnarounds in the history of man. So much so that the people were actually now afraid of the Jews. And all the provinces and all the governors and all the princes were going to stand with the Jews who were standing together. And no, it's not a perfect situation. Remember, we looked at that last week when we, we, we said, you know, why couldn't this have a happy ending? You know, why, why couldn't this story, everybody, you know, Haman and Mordecai became best friends and, and everybody was happy and, you know, wouldn't that be nice? And wouldn't we all just like that kind of ending? You know, and we talked about how, unfortunately, there's something about this story that prevented that ending. It really happened. You see, sometimes that when actions that are, are put into place, that there's not always going to be the perfect ending. Because God is allowing actions and sin to go its natural course until Jesus comes back. And sometimes when we're facing adversity, when we're, we're facing hardships, we don't have a conclusion that we would write that ties everything up really neatly. Sometimes we have to experience living in a broken and messy world and see God's salvation and providence through that and accept that it's part of something much larger. And as we look at this story, some, some ugly things happen at the end of this story. And we may shout out and say, God, why did you allow that? And again, God is allowing the actions of us to take its natural course. And he intervenes sometimes. Sometimes he parts the Red Sea. Sometimes he has the walls come down. But also, sometimes he, he orchestrates things in a quiet way to bring around his outcome. But if we don't look for it, we don't see his hand in it. And this is one of those situations. 
continues on in verse 4. For Mordecai had been promoted in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout the provinces as he became more and more powerful. But the Jews went ahead on the appointed day and struck down their enemies with the sword. Remember, they did not attack anybody. They were defending. So anybody who came after them, they would strike down. They killed and annihilated their enemies and did as they pleased with those who hated them. They killed 500 people in the fortress of Susa. They also killed, and I'm just going to spare me and everybody else, and I'm not going to read these 10 names. So they also killed the ten sons of Haman, son of Hamadethoth, the enemy of the Jews. But they did not take any plunder. Now this is the first time in three times that we're going to hear that line. They killed these people. They defended themselves and they defeated their enemy, but they did not take any plunder. This is extremely important. That... that there's something about defending yourself and not striking out against somebody for personal gain. The, the end result might end up ugly, like we're going to see in this story. But the motivation behind the two sides are completely different. One is for selfish ambition and personal gain. The other is to protect and save their family and their people group. That evening, when the king was informed of the number of people killed in the fortress of Susa, he called for Queen Esther and said, The Jews have killed 500 people in the fortress of Susa alone, and also Haman's ten sons. If they have gone and done it that here, what has happened to the rest of the provinces? But now, what more do you want? It will be granted to you. Tell me, and I will do it. And Esther said, if it please your majesty, give the Jews in Susa permission to do again tomorrow as they had done today and have the bodies of Haman's ten sons hung from the gallows. And I, I think as we hear that, we might be quick to judge Esther again. We've seemed to want to do that throughout this story. And this is another one of those instances where we're like, Esther, aren't you being a little vindictive here? Don't you have a little bloodlust going on here? You know, you've already made your point, and now you want, you know, you've killed Haman's ten sons, but now you want to stick them on a pole and for everyone to see, and you also want to extend the decree of being able to protect yourself and kill anybody who attacks yourself, uh, people in Susa for another day? You know, what's that all about? Well, again... I, I think, one, when we put our 21st sensibilities on, on this in the, in the 5th century B.C., it's, it's difficult. It makes things cloudy. But the other thing is that, that what Esther is trying to do, she probably heard that, that there were still factions at work in Susa. See, she didn't say all the provinces. She just said in the fortress of Susa. And you remember, this was where Haman and his sons were based. So they probably had a lot of support. And what she probably heard was that they were going to attack again the following day. And what she wanted to do is to make a, a public proclamation by hanging these ten bodies up in the air and saying, look, if you attack the Jews, this is going to happen to you. 
So she wanted that and to also give her people permission to defend themselves for another day. Again, she's, she's trying to work and, and follow God as best she can in a messy and broken situation. So the king agreed and the decree was announced in Susa. They also hung the bodies of Haman's ten sons from the gallows. Then the Jews at Susa gathered together on March 8th and killed 300 more people, though again they took no plunder. Meanwhile, the other Jews throughout the king's provinces gathered together to defend, remember, defend their lives. They gained relief from all of their enemies, killing 75,000 of them who hated them. But they did not take any plunder. Throughout the provinces, this was done on March 7th. Then on the following day, they rested, celebrated their victory with a day of feasting and, and gladness. I, it's kind of a bizarre situation, and, and just the sheer numbers of 75,000 may make our heads spin. It's, wow, 75,000 people were killed in, a certain, in one single day. And that, that's really hard for us to swallow. But again, these 75,000 people weren't just innocent bystanders. These weren't people just sitting in their houses, you know, waiting for Dr. Phil to come on. Now, these are people who are actively trying to destroy the Jews. And it's kind of interesting. A lot of times I think that the size of the empire is lost on us. This empire was huge. It had 127 provinces. And if you divide 75,000 by 127, the average killing that happened was about 600 per province. Now, I'm not trying to minimize the loss of life here. It's horrific. But it's maybe not as grisly as it looks like on the surface. So as, as we continue, and they, 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 they celebrated their victory with a day of feasting and gladness. And you may be sitting here going, well, that's pretty weird. You know, you kill 75,000 people, and now you're feasting, and, and you're glad. Well, they really had something to celebrate. Have you ever been up against a situation where it seemed utterly hopeless? And... Not only was this a short period, this was almost a year that they'd been dealing with the weight of their annihilation. I just, I couldn't imagine the feeling of hopelessness knowing that your, your spouse and your children and your family members were going to be killed on this particular day. The tension must have been incredible. And when God delivered them from that and made it possible for them not to be annihilated, the joy that they must have felt, the, just the relief that they must have felt. You know, I don't, I don't know if you remember a time that you were in a hopeless situation where you thought that, that there was no way that there was going to be any resemblance of a positive outcome happen. But as you trotted through it and through 
dicer deity moments, somehow God orchestrated a way to have his glory shown. Those are times that we have to remember in times to bring him the glory. In verse 18, but the Jews of Susa continued to kill their enemies on the second day also, and then rested on the third day, making that their day of feasting and gladness. So to this day, rural Jews living in the unwalled villages celebrate an annual festival and holiday in the late winter when they rejoice and send gifts to each other. Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to the Jews near and far throughout all the king's provinces, encouraging them to celebrate an annual festival on these two days. He told them to celebrate these days with feasting and gladness and by giving gifts to each other and to the poor. This would commemorate a time when the Jews gained relief from their enemies, when their sorrow was turned into gladness and their mourning into joy. You know, this is actually still, the, the festival of Purim is still celebrated to this day. In fact, it happens in, in late winter, early spring. This year it's going to happen uh, on Thursday, March 20th. And you can actually uh, go to a Jewish tabernacle or, uh, uh, or you can go uh, to a sanctuary uh, or a temple and... and take part in it. And what they, what they do, it's kind of cool. On the, on the 20th, on day one, everybody comes and, and all the children get these noisemakers. You know the things on a stick and they, they kind of like have a, a thing that sticks out and you go like this and it goes, clack, 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 clack. Yeah, okay, you're with me. All right, all the kids get one of those, you know, and, and they let them into the, the gathering area, right? And uh, every time... Haman or the sons are mentioned, they rip those things around and make all this, all this noise. But they're not the only ones that get all the fun. That, that the adults, they, they yell out. Every time Haman is mentioned, they yell out, let his name be cursed. And then they stomp their feet and make a whole bunch of noise. And that, that, they're fasting, and that happens on, on Thursday. And then the next day they come back, and then they read Esther again. Uh, all through. See, it took us 10 weeks. Uh, then they, they knocked through it twice in two days. It's really incredible. And, uh, uh, and then they, they shout and they make the noise, but that day they're not fasting, that they actually have all this food um, that's specific to that day, and it's a great day of celebration and remembering. You know, celebrations are so important, and Mordecai put this into place for people to remember that God did something great in the lives of the Jewish people. And they get to remember that. And I, God puts these festivals in place because it's so easy for us to forget. You know, we go through life and there's so many times where, where we just, uh, things are going good and we're just on autopilot and then things go bad and we're like, oh my gosh, God is a, God has abandoned me, or, or it's always been bad. You know, God hasn't shown up ever in my life. And it's these festivals, and, and times of remembrance are so important in our lives. It's one reason why when we do baptisms here at E3, that we each person who gets baptized, we give them a candle to take home with them so they can remember and mark that moment. 
that they made a public proclamation that they were followers of Christ. That's why worship, our communion is so important because it brings us to remembrance of God of coming down in form as a man, a man and living a sinless life and being sacrificed for us to die for our sins so we can have an eternal relationship with our Father in heaven. That we can go to him with our heads down in all our brokenness and he'll reach out and lift up our heads in acceptance and love. It's so important. So many times I've had people say, I just don't feel God anymore. You've ever heard that? I, 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 it's an interesting statement. I, I've thought about that quite a bit. And I think that one reason, especially those of us who've been walking with the Lord for, for many, many years, uh, sometimes don't feel God, is, is his presence is just always there. Have you ever had someone who like put their hand on your, your thigh or their, your, your, your back? Not like some weirdo, like, uh, like some of you know and love and like, uh, you know, can do that. And, and their hand's there for a long time. There, there's a point where you stop feeling that hand, right? Okay, just take my word for it. And uh, uh, there is a point where the hand's there, but you don't feel it anymore. And I think a lot of times as we're going through life, God's presence is like that especially those of us who've been walking with him for so long, that his hand's there, but it's been there for so long that we cease to feel it. And we got to remember and look and say, oh, the hand is still there. One great way to look is to journal. Actually write down what's going on in your life and and you know what would be interesting, interesting discipline in while you're journey, journaling, when weird things happen, when you think, huh, is this a coincidence? Write dice or deity moment in your journal. And as things come together in your life, remember, all things work together for good for those who love God and are according to his purpose. To be able to go back and look at those dice or deity moments and say, Oh my gosh, that wasn't dice. God was actually doing something there. You see, it is so important for us to mark these things in our life because we become so comfortable and we get drawn into our own world that we forget. So in verse 22, it says, So the Jews adopted Mordecai's suggestion and began the annual customs. Haman son of Hamadatha, the Agadite, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted to crush and destroy them on one day of the month determined by casting lots. I think it's so funny that Mordecai called the festival after what was meant to destroy them. It's, well, it's funny to me. But when, but when Esther came before the king, he issued a decree causing Haman's evil plot to backfire. And Haman and his sons were hung on the gallows. So because of Mordecai's letter and because of what they had experienced, the Jews throughout the realm agreed to inaugurate this tradition and to pass it on to their descendants and to all who became Jews. 
they declared that they would never fail to celebrate these two prescribed days at the appointed time each year. These days would be remembered and kept from generation to generation and celebrated by every family throughout the provinces and the cities of the empire. These days would never cease to be celebrated among the Jews, nor would the memory of what happened ever die out among their descendants. Empires have come and gone, but this celebration of what God did when he never even took credit by it for it through name is celebrated to this day. Verse 29, then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote another letter putting the queen's full authority behind Mordecai's letter to establish the festival of Purim. In addition, letters wishing peace and security were sent to the Jews throughout the 127 provinces of the empire of Xerxes. These letters established the festival of Purim, an annual celebration of these days at the appropriate time, decreed both by Mordecai and the Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther. So the command of Esther confirmed the practices of Purim, and it was all written down in the records. So that's the conclusion of our story. And then there's just a little addendum in, in, in chapter 10, just three verses, where it says, King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout his empire, even to the distant coastlands. His great achievements and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom he had promoted, are recorded in the book of history of the king of Media of Persia. Mordecai the Jew became prime minister with authority next to that of King Xerxes himself. He was very great among the Jews who held him in high esteem because he worked for the good of his people and was a friend at the royal court for all of them. The story of a girl who became queen. I think it's so important to each and every one of us. You see, Esther wasn't born into greatness or significance. Esther wasn't predestined to be queen of all Persia. Esther was a Jewess. She was a girl in one of the 127 provinces of a king named Xerxes. And as all of these dicer the moments come together, I think it is so important for us to realize that this God, the creator of the universe, in such a time as this, when people do not want to give him credit, we can know that his hand is on us and that all things work together for good for those who love him and are according to his purpose. All things, the good, the bad, the indifferent, the adversity that you're in is not just by chance. When you've been overlooked, it's not just by chance. That God is forging you in the fire, refining you for a moment. Maybe you'll never be queen. 
or king or president or anything like that. But what we can know is that God has a plan for each and every one of us and that we get to play an active role in the story of God. That no one who's a follower of him is exempt from that. That we all have that opportunity. And it doesn't matter how in unremarkable our current circumstances seem to be. That each and every one of us have the opportunity to touch a life and to be used by God to spread his love and his hope to a lost and hurting world. Let's pray. Dear God, I just uh, thank you for this story of Esther. It's been difficult at times. There's been times where in the story, there just didn't seem to be a lot happening. But God, I know you're teaching even during those times. That you are constantly at work. You are moving and shaping. God, we acknowledge we live in a broken and messy world. But we also acknowledge that we are your agents to bring hope. We are your conduit of blessings. God, let us be available to you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.